0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Thank you, Miss Laura. We appreciate you so much. Choir, fantastic job. Hmm. I don't know if you, you've noticed this, but if you've ever gotten an email from Christopher Holsey, it always ends with the tagline, Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. I know that's his heart and choir. You did a great job with that. Okay, so uh, we have been in the book of Exodus for a little while. And uh, last week we looked at the consecration of the firstborn and we, looked at, we did communion, uh, the Lord's Supper together. This week begins a four-week break uh, in the book of Exodus, kind of a, a commercial break where we look at biblical stewardship for just a few weeks. Okay, and in biblical stewardship, this idea is that uh, well, let me let me tell you how I got there, and then we'll define it. Uh, back in April of this year, I, I went to a training, okay, a stewardship training down in Columbia. This was the second time I've attended this training, and I back in April, I knew that the Lord was kind of leading us to begin a sermon series this fall that I also knew that we needed to do a better job of helping people inside of our church know what stewardship is and have the resources and tools to be good stewards of financial resources and our resources, other resources. And so I just want to uh, say that I've been planning this for a long time. I'm excited about this. And, and let me go ahead and, and kick it off right now. Uh, a lot of people say, I don't like going to church when and I think the number one time that people say they don't like going to church is when the pastor talks about money, right? Um, Talk about anything else, you know, talk about those people or these people or that sin, but don't talk about money. Nobody really likes that, but here's why we're going to spend some time talking about stewardship. Stewardship. Large numbers of Christians are struggling financially and Seneca Baptist Church we really want to help with that we don't just we don't, let me can I just get it out we don't want something from you but we believe that stewardship is a discipleship issue and so we want something for you we believe that in stewardship we gain far more than we will ever give away and so I don't want something from you God doesn't need your money okay He's the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. He has the biggest checkbook, and his bank account is far bigger than we could ever imagine it to be. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. He doesn't need something from you, but stewardship is, in fact, all about discipleship. Many people inside the church have not been taught the biblical principles of finances or stewardship. Consumer debt is going up, uh, not, not mortgages, but... Um, consumer debt and the scriptures reveal in Proverbs 22 verse 7 that the borrower is slave of the lender and we don't want any of you to be slaves to a debt that you owe that you feel like you're stuck under and you would say I wish that I could go on that mission trip give more to this thing I wish that I could do more to set me free from ministry if I was out from under this debt we want we want you to be out from under that and the number one cause or of many issues and divorces in marriages is money. So it's, it's a discipleship issue, and this is why we're going to spend four weeks talking about stewardship. Uh, you say, well, you know, I, I just feel like we should keep the main thing the main thing, and I just want to push back a little bit and say that uh, Jesus spoke more about money than he did any other topic. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money or possessions. Did you understand that? 16 out of 38, that's a bunch. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels is uh, dealing directly with the subject of money. The entire Bible, all 66 books, offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, but speaks more than 2,000 times on money and possessions. So Jesus spoke, spoke more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. And it's not that Jesus wanted your money. Now, you, you might have watched TV lately, late at night, and you've come across one of those televangelists, and he's preaching and sweating, and he, he wants to sell you something. And if he, he says something along the lines of, if you sow this little seed of faith, right, then God will bless you. Now, we do not believe that just because you are following after the Lord and giving him what belongs to him, that he's going to bless you financially. That's in fact called the prosperity gospel, and that gospel is a false gospel, because that gospel doesn't line up, number one, with scripture, and number two, you can't justify that gospel around the world. How would you say to uh, an African believer who's faithfully giving, who is is struggling to provide for their family, no, God wants you to be rich. You can't. Well, and and just look at the, the 11 disciples. How did that gospel, that prosperity gospel that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise go for them? Not so well. In fact, when the the closer they followed Jesus the more difficult their life began but the more or became but the more full it was and so my point in all of this is just saying that our heart about financial conditions will have a direct impact on our spiritual life and our relationship to money will always impact our relationship to God it will always and i want to unpack that today a little bit so in the, the four weeks, I want to start out today with defining three key terms. Three key terms that you're going to need to know about over the next four weeks. You'll hear me repeat these words a little bit. And so the, four, or the three key terms are, number one, tithing. Tithing. Now, tithing is an Old Testament term from Genesis chapter 14 that means a tenth. Now, All the way back in Genesis chapter 14, um, Abraham gave a tithe to the priest of Most High God named Melchizedek. Now, he was king of righteousness, he was king of peace. So Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness, and and in the Bible it reveals that he was the king of Salem, and the word Salem is short for peace, it means peace. And so, king of righteousness, king of peace, and... Uh, in this, he was priest of the Most High God. Now, we understand now, because of the book of Hebrews, that Melchizedek is likely Jesus incarnate beforehand. He's God incarnate. So this is just an incredible story. I'd love to tell you more about that later, but that's not my point. But here's what I want you to understand. The tithe was introduced before the tabernacle, before the temple, before the church was formed, before the office of priest was formed in the book of Exodus. Um, it was before the pastorate was ever formed, and it was even before the people of God were the people of God at all, that Abraham, or Abram in that passage, tithed 10% to Melchizedek, who was priest of Most High God. And so it's, tithing is not spoken of much in the New Testament, but it's understood by Jewish believers as the starting place and not the finish line. It was the starting block of generosity and not the end goal tithing in the bible is all about priorities tithing is a a gift of first fruits first fruits and tithing was what came or what went to god and it was first and it was about priority and it put when i gave first in the old testament it was saying that god is my first priority, my first love, my greatest treasure, and he is my trust. Can you just i mean think about the the 7 days of the week and how god in the book of exodus said as they're collecting manna day by day, i want you to set aside one day for me as holy to the lord, and on that day you're not going to collect anything because i'm going to provide for you through 6 days. That's the idea of tithing. The idea is that God will do more in six days than I can do in seven without Him. God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100% without His blessing. So tithing sets my priorities. Then we see, um, well, tithing was never about moving the decimal point on a check. But it's always been about moving the affections of my heart. Okay, so it's always been about that. The second term is generosity. In the New Testament, we see God's heart being lived out in the early church. And the early church was not just giving a certain percentage. What did they do? Acts chapter 2, look up here on the screen. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's way beyond tithing right? This is generosity. Now generosity, the definition is a willingness to share with others and it involves personal sacrifice. A willingness to share with others and it involves personal sacrifice. In Acts chapter 4, this is not on the screen, Barnabas sells a field and he comes and he brings all of the proceeds and he lays them down at the apostles' feet, that is generosity. That cost him his livelihood, but he was willing to sacrifice that for the sake of the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 8, maybe one of the most famous passages about generosity in the New Testament, verse 2 through verse 5, it says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. That's generosity. They gave beyond their means, of their own accord. And it says, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Please let me be a part of this ministry. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us, we see generosity lived out in this passage in the New Testament. The third term I want to define is the term of stewardship. See, we understand tithing; that makes sense to us. Ten percent—it's really easy to to figure that out. Generosity is a little bit more difficult because there is a difference in motivation between tithing and generosity. Generosity is giving sacrificially. And then there's this idea of stewardship, and this is the idea that I want to kind of camp on for the next four weeks, the idea of stewardship. Now, first and foremost, let me me describe stewardship, the act of wisely managing God's stuff, the act of wisely managing God's stuff in a way that pleases the master, that's stewardship. Luke, we see this a couple times. Luke chapter 16, verse 8 and 9, and verse 12, it says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of the light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So here's the idea of Stewardship. The idea of stewardship in this parable is there was a, mani- a manager, a money manager, for a master. And the master was going to fire the money manager. And so the money manager said, what am I going to do? I'm ashamed to beg. I'm too weak to dig. So what am I going to do? He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to call in my master's debtors, one by one. He calls in one. He owes him 80 of this. He says, I'm going to mark it down to 50. You only give him 50. He calls in another one. He says, I owe 100 of this. Well, I'm gonna mark it down to 50. You give 50 of this, and and so what he did is through the master's wealth, he made friends so that when the resources were gone, there was something far more lasting than what had passed. He used the master's money in such a way that his future was secure. Here's the point of stewardship in the Bible is it all belongs to the Master, it comes to us for a season, and we use it in such a way that pleases Him and makes friends for eternity. See, You see it two times. Number one, He says, make friends by unrighteous wealth, and then et- eternal dwellings. And then it finishes in verse 12. It says, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So stewardship is being faithful in that which belongs to someone else. Now, let me be very clear on this. The goal of stewardship is not saving money. Now, we, we have kind of hijacked the word stewardship, and we make mean it to, well, I'm being a good steward, I'm saving money. And that's not what the biblical idea is. Stewardship is not about money. In the Bible, stewardship is always about mission. Stewardship has at its heart the kingdom, the expansion of God's kingdom, seeing God's kingdom grow. That's what it's all about. It's realizing that God has given us given us such blessings so that we might be a blessing to all the nations and fulfill Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. The promise, the covenant to Abraham that we Through the resources and gifts and blessings that God has so given His church and His people that the name of Jesus might be known in places that it's not. Are you with me, church? So this is the idea of stewardship. It's different than ownership. Because in tithing, I can be an owner. And in generosity, I can still be an owner. But when it comes to stewardship, it's not about ownership. See, ownership is all about rights. What right do I have to do with my money? Right? So it's all about rights. I have rights to determine how my money gets spent. That's ownership. Stewardship is a relinquishing of rights to the rightful owner, recognizing that everything, whether it's in my account or not, everything belongs to Him, to God. So then I ask, how would God want me to use, utilize the things that belong to Him in a way that aligns with the deep desires of His heart and the intentions of His heart? That's stewardship. That's stewardship. Chip Ingram wrote in a book... Uh, That as a young pastor, there was an elderly man in his church who called him up one day and he said, I have a proposal for you, why don't you meet me for lunch? And they met for lunch and they ate this big fancy restaurant, nice lunch. And the the old elderly man said, here's my proposal, I'm going to open a checking account. It's going to have $10,000 in it and you're going to be responsible for how that money gets spent. And I want you to spend it in such a way that is good for God's kingdom. And so as a young pastor, Chip Ingram said, man, it made me nervous. Every time I, I thought about spending money, I had to meet with the master because I had to find out how he wanted me to spend that which belonged to him. He said it was, it was the responsibility went up. He said it was that much more important to know what his heart and what his desires and what his passions were because it all belonged to him and none of it to me. And so, the difference between most people's view of tithing and biblical stewardship is the heart. Follow me for a second. I can tithe 10% and I can do so grudgingly or out of guilt. I have a question Does that heart please the master? It sure doesn't. So I can give, I can tithe without a generous heart. I can tithe and my heart not please him. But generosity and stewardship is a whole nother level. It's about what makes our hearts happy, secure, full. What's my treasure? What's my joy? What's my love? What's my greatest affection? And that's where stewardship comes in, and generosity comes in, and that is what is important. See, I can tie 10% of what belong, what I believe belongs to me, but stewardship believes that everything comes from God, it all belongs to God, and everything is for God, and so He loans to you for a time what belongs to Him so that you might learn to steward it well with God's mission in mind. Are you with me, church? So the question then is, why is stewardship important? And I have three reasons why stewardship is important. There was a preacher named O.S. Hawkins. Um, He was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, back in the 80s, I believe it was. O.S. Hawkins said, we are nothing more than stewards passing through this world. Fifty years ago, everything that's in your name right now belonged to somebody else. And fifty years from now, everything that's in your name will belong to somebody else. He said, when you entered the world, you entered it naked and without a dime, and you will leave in the same way. So in reality, he goes on, we don't own a thing We are simply stewards of what belongs to God. So, three reasons why it's important. Number one, it reveals our priorities. Our stewardship is a testimony of what is priority for us. How how many many of you have ever heard of at the funeral home uh, a family family Arguing and fussing and fighting about who's going to get what at the end. What do we call that document that that is left by the deceased to know how to disperse the belongings of that deceased person? What do we call it? Last will and testament. What in the world does testament mean? Testimony. I want you to understand that our stewardship is kind of our last will and testament it it, that's why stewardship must put god first it reveals our priorities what's priority in our life now i've i heard it said one time that that um, you write your autobiography with your checkbook now some of us don't have checkbooks anymore there's this generation coming up that if they needed a check they'd go "I, i got no idea Everything is plastic, right? Everything is online. But I grew up that my first thing that I did when I was 14 years old, I went to the bank, I opened up a bank account, I put my first paycheck in the bank account, and they gave me a checkbook. Right? And I could write my autobiography with my checkbook. If somebody said to you, let me see your checkbook, they're going to find out real quick what's important to you. If somebody said to you, now this might speak to another generation, if somebody said to you, give me your phone, let me open up your app, and let me see how you have spent your money on your debit or credit card, they're going to find out really quickly what's your priority. And that's exactly what stewardship is all about. It's all about our priorities. It reveals our priorities. That's why in Proverbs 3 it says, Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your harvest. Give to him what belongs to him first. Many people say, think about it like a pie. And, and they cut that pie into sections. And, and at the end of the month, they say, Well, you know what? I don't have much to give to the Lord because I don't have much left over. And so, really, what God gets in those moments is kind of this, the crumbs, this half of, a, half of a slither, maybe a spoonful uh, that goes to the Lord. And God says, No, I want you to put me first. Why? Is it because God is so desperate for your tithe? No, it's not easy that He's not desperate for that, but He does want your heart. It reveals our priorities, it also reveals our loves. Stewardship is not about the amount, but the heart. Don't you remember the story in Mark chapter 12 of all the Pharisees and religious leaders coming up and putting large amounts into the temple treasury? and Jesus is just kind of sitting back and then this poor lady comes up and puts two pennies into the treasury box and he gets up and he says did you see her that's what generosity is like that's a heart that makes me happy because it wasn't about the amount he said all these put out put in out of their excess but she gave all that she had to live on Pontaton by all her living she put in everything. And they says that's what makes me happy. It's about priorities. It's, it's about loves. It's not about amounts. It's about the heart. It's not about moving the decimal point, remember? It's about moving and shifting the affections of my heart from the worldly things that we're so entrenched by to the heavenly realities of King Jesus. That's why Jesus said in Matthew twenty six twenty four. No one can serve two masters. He'll hate one, love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. O.S. Hawkins continues in the same sermon that he preached. He said, Our last will and testament is the last opportunity we have to give our testimony to the world of what was really important uh, to us. One day someone will read it and tell what really held your heart because Jesus said, Where your treasure is, finish it with me, there your Heart will be also. I've heard a lot of preachers say that sometimes the last thing to get saved on a person is their checkbook. It's all about our heart. It's it's not financially driven. Stewardship is not financially driven, it's discipleship driven. Our finances reveal so much about our own spiritual journey and maturity. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue and a discipleship issue. And so Chip Ingram, uh, he says, this is why Jesus talked about money so often. It's because the way that we handle money, our trustworthiness as God's stewards is one of the most accurate reflections of our relationship to Him. He says stewardship, the way we steward what God has given to us for a time, is an accurate reflection of our relationship to Him. So it reveals our priorities, it reveals our loves, and third, our attitude toward money affects our spiritual lives. Now here I want to come to Mark chapter 4, verse 18 to 20, and I want to end with this passage. It says, "And, "...and others are the ones sown among thorns." So remember, he's in the middle of the parable of the soils. There's one sower, one seed. It's a good sower and good seed... Cast on four different kinds of soils. There's the, the, the path, and the birds swoop down and eat it. And he says, that's Satan coming down to steal away. Then there's the rocky soil. It doesn't It grows up immediately, but it doesn't have any root depth of root. And so it, it withers up when it gets hot. And then he comes to this one. The thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world. Now, in your Bible, in your mind, I want you to kind of highlight, circle, underline... Those three things. Cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and do what? Choke the word. Cares of the world, what is that? Well, cares of the world. How am I going to pay the bills? What is our family, our church, going to do next year? How are we going to make it? What's going to be our budget? The the needs that we have in our family are bigger than the money coming in. Have you ever felt that way? That's the cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches, what are they? Money makes promises that it can't fulfill. Money is a counterfeit of only what God can truly offer. It ends up being only a harsh taskmaster. It destroys relationships and it keeps its servants chasing after the wind. What money promises, like security and significance and purpose and happiness, only God can provide to you. That's the deceitfulness of riches. How many of you have ever you have gotten a gift and it made you feel good for a time? You bought a new this, you bought a new car, you got a bigger house, and you felt more significant for a time. That's the deceitfulness of riches. Money can only counterfeit what God can eternally offer. And the desire for other things. And that's just a lack of contentment. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with a lack of contentment. And what a lack of contentment reveals in my heart is, God, I don't really trust you that you're good. I don't feel like you're giving me everything that I need because if I did, I'd be content with what you've given a lack of contentment really doesn't believe that I trust Him to provide for my needs, and so what 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 Jesus says in this passage is those three things: the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. They enter into this person's life and choke the word, choke the word, proving it unfruitful. Do you see that? I don't miss that, church family. Have you ever wondered, maybe, why, am I, why do I seem to be so unfruitful in my life? Could it be that the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things have entered in and began to choke out the word in your life? I'm not making this stuff up. Do you see it right there? Now, I've never heard a pastor preach on this. Until I came to this stewardship training. I, the first training that I, I experienced was back in November. And I heard this pastor, pastor Dave Bruskus, walk through this passage. And I thought, I have never seen that in my life. That the way I view and handle and my attitude toward money can affect the fruitfulness of the word in my life. chokes it, proves it unfruitful. Uh, I, I'm on the Beaver Dam Baptist Association revitalization team, and that's a mouthful for a group of people that come alongside struggling, dying churches to say, how can we help you? And I, I've read countless books and gone through many, many hours of training. And as we work with uh, struggling and dying, declining churches, we often find that one of the characteristics of those churches has to do with a really poor theology and stewardship. Almost every Christian or or church revitalization book will say the same thing somewhere in it. Bill Hennard, a pastor, uh, excuse me, a um, southern seminary uh, teacher, professor and pastor says it like this in his book. He says the dying church oftentimes becomes incredibly introverted and protected so that all of its money and time is spent on itself, taking care of us. What does that mean? It's choking the word and it's becoming unfruitful. But genuine ministry does not intend to isolate. It means to provide. So when we don't have the proper theology of stewardship in our life or in our church as the old movie line says, danger, Will Robinson. We're on a slippery slope to approving ourselves unfruitful. Some people would say, well, listen, no, oh, this person's just wise. He's shrewd. He's being a good planner. Well, the Bible reveals that this can be a subtle and seemingly acceptable form of idolatry. The greatest danger in the history of God's people from the beginning of Israel all the way to modern-day church has never been need or suffering or persecution, but one of the greatest dangers inside God's church has always been abundance. Abundance. That's why in the book of Deuteronomy, as they're coming into the promised land, God says, He warns the people of Israel, when you come into the promised land, don't forget me. Don't forget me. With great financial blessings come great kingdom responsibility. So stewardship over the next four weeks. Let me land this plane right here. Everything you have comes from God. It belongs to God and is to be used for God's kingdom. His mission. Everything. Everything we have as a church, whether it's financial or in some other resource, is come from him it belongs to him and it's to be used for mission and our mission is to help every person become a more devoted disciple of jesus by declaring the gospel discipling the believer and deploying the church everything we have is to be used for that in his purposes so i want to ask three questions what testimony do your finances reveal about your priorities your loves and your relationship to jesus I can't answer that for you. But what testimony, if somebody were to come in and read your last will and testament, what would it say about your heart and your priorities? How has your attitude about money affected your personal fruitfulness? Do you feel at times, maybe sometimes, your fruitfulness is choked out by the thorns of this world, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things? that you sometimes wish you'd be more fruitful? Could it be that it would, it's time to take a hard look at your attitude about money? As a church, do we view what God has blessed us with through the right lens? Or like Bill Hennard said, are we trying to protect everything that we have rather than to meet every need that God brings? Last question and I'm, I'm done how will the resources that God has entrusted to us individually in the church make an impact into eternity when you're gone when it no longer has your name on it what impact will it have left that's stewardship and next week over the next few weeks we're going to dive deeper into that topic and I pray that you'd see it's not about a need, but it's about our hearts. As we close, I want to invite you. This altar is open for you. If you'd like to come and kneel and pray, if you'd like to come and say, God, search my heart, you do that in these times. Miss Cecilia is coming down in just a minute, and I'm excited about that. Um, But I want to just remind you, the greatest thing you've ever been given to steward in the world is not money or resources, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a gift that's been given to you. came from God. It's all about God. And He's given you the gospel to be a good steward of it. Accept Jesus today and tell somebody about Him. If you'd like to come and kneel, come and do business, come and join the church. You do that in this time. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Thank you for Thank you for PAM and our personnel committee. Thank you for them showing appreciation this morning. We're so grateful. Father, I'm overwhelmed at this church family. They've always stepped up to meet the needs that you've brought this way. But, Father, we can always do what we do better. Search our heart, O oh God. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me into the everlasting way. Father, we love you. Move among us now, specifically among those who don't know Jesus. In Christ's name and for his glory, we pray. Amen. Let's sing.